Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Monday, September 28th. Clemson is still 3-0, and we are finally back to game week. Uh, this is your host, Nick Tully. I'm here, joined here tonight with Ben Welty. Say hello, Ben. How's it going, guys? Uh, ben, before we get started, there's been some, some commentary, some chatter about the type of beer we're drinking. We made some comments last time about um, West Coast IPAs and our preference for them. So maybe we can talk about our beverage choices tonight. Yeah, so somebody pointed out in the comments section on Shaking Shake the Southland that uh, we're not giving enough love to the East Coast IPAs, and I totally agree. And I, I promise you I meant to pick up some Dogfish Head 90-minute IPA uh, for tonight, but the store's out of it, unfortunately, because it's better than what I'm drinking. I've never had this before, but it's a Hangar 24 Betty IPA. It's okay, but the flavor is not as big of a punch. It's from Redlands, California, wherever that is. I think it's up in the northern part of the state somewhere. Not sure. Unclear. Um, Anyways, I've had better. Also, I'm over here drinking a uh, beer from the Lagunitas Brewery up in Petaluma. I'm drinking their daytime ale. It's a fractional IPA, daytime. guess it's meant to be consumed before the evening. Uh, they also have a nighttime ale, which I believe is a stronger proof. Uh, different methods here, but still in the IPA family, pretty pretty darn good. This is a beer that eases you into the day. Redlands is actually down in San Bernardino County, for those curious. It's actually not all that far from uh, Death Valley, believe it or not. North, south, whatever, I came close. Yeah. West Coast, for sure. Uh, we will mix <laughs> in right some, state. E- some East Coast beers, ales, etc. Um, Harpoon IPA up in, in the Boston, very good. I know they're producing some. Throughout the southeast as well. That's so. a good. That's a good point. If anybody on the east coast has any um, recommendations for east coast IPAs, or really any really great east coast beers, we'd we'd love to hear it. Indeed, hit us up on Twitter um, or in the comments, I guess, on STS. Um, but today is all about our preview for Notre Dame. Uh, we'll talk a bit here to start against about some of the polls, um, where Clemson stands there heading into our game and some of the week four results from play around the country. Uh, but overall, I think Clemson still hasn't made much movement in the polls. Um, we're now at number 12 in the AP, number 11 in the coaches, maybe a little bit of jockeying around us based on some teams that have looked strong and have moved up and won. Um, a big one there was Utah and their 42-point win over Oregon last week. This was a much almost bigger beatdown even than a 42-point game. Utah was pulling out all the stops here, and uh, that was just... That was ridiculous. So I feel like, you know, if you're going to beat an Oregon team, if you're going to beat a Michigan team like they did in the first week of the season, uh, Utah looks good. And I feel like, you know, based on their resume versus ours, I guess I'm okay getting jumped by them. Well, and Michigan is uh, ranked now, at least in the AP poll. I mean, they've recovered. They've gone 3-0 and since that game. So I will give credit to Utah. Um, you know, this makes a lot of sense. We, we win, we drop in the polls. We don't play, we drop in the polls. That's, that's about normal. <laughs> For Clemson shows the national level of respect for our team and our wins, but you know we've got we've got an opportunity this weekend to change that around. Um, elsewhere in the coaches, it looked like we were jumped by UCLA. I'll say this about the coaches: a two and two Oregon team is still ranked. A, a, 
a, a one in three, what one in two Auburn team was also ranked was, last week. Was still ranked, yeah. So it's only a matter of time before you know the half of the top twenty five is. Gamecocks will be in there soon. Yeah, right? exactly. A sub five hundred SEC team. So um, speaking of the Gamecocks, they pulled out a seventeen point victory over Central Florida that looked by no means assured throughout that game. Just you know, reminiscent of a, of a poorly played high school game. Whereas we went on the road and beat possibly the the best 0-3 team in the country, South Carolina played a really close game for the most part against probably the worst 0-3 team in the country. Uh, so things still not going well for them down at Columbia. Uh, we'll see how the season progresses, but it's not looking good for them. Um, flipping it back to the ACC, the big matchup that everyone had their eyes on this weekend was Georgia Tech coming off that Notre Dame loss. Still ranked number 20, um, went into Duke, where all parties expected the Yellow Jackets to bounce back. They actually lost by two scores to the Blue Devils um, on the road there. So two losses in a row for Tech. Duke looked actually really competent on offense here, too. So this is actually very telling about, one, how, how good Georgia Tech is versus how good we thought they were coming into the season. It also says a lot about their their defense giving up that much to Duke and gives us some insight on, well, maybe that Notre Dame one, I think definitely that Notre Dame win over Georgia Tech isn't as good as we thought it was. And then also it makes me feel a lot better about facing Georgia Tech right after playing Notre Dame. Yeah, they've allowed mid-30s two weeks in a row. Their offense is put up in the 20s two weeks in a row after you know shutting teams down in the first two weeks and scoring in the 60s and 70s. So um, they've started to play real team, real teams and a real schedule now. We'll see how they bounce back this week before we play them um, a week from this Saturday. But feel a little better about them. Well, and I'll give credit where credit is due here. You know, I've said that our road to the ACC championship goes through beating Georgia Tech twice. And you mentioned though, what about Duke? You know, it, it could be them. And I dismiss that completely, just not thinking Duke had what it takes this year. I know they've been good in in recent years. David Cutcliffe there has done a really fantastic job, especially for a Duke program. They did lose to North, Northwestern, who I I would normally think they should be, even though I know no Northwestern is decent this year. But it is looking like Duke could be an absolute possibility, and, and Georgia Tech's not as strong as we thought they were. Well, you know, Ben, what's also in play here? every team in the coastal going four and four that's been talked about on twitter by um grantland's holly anderson and a few others doomsday scenario for them where they have this crazy you know tiebreaker scenario but um, the coastal likes to beat up on itself and any given week any team could come out with a victory there so while this week duke may look like the class of that division um could be you know pitt could be Virginia Tech. Well, could be Miami. I, yeah, and I think it's Miami. I think that's what it comes down to right now. The way Georgia Tech has been playing, I don't think it's going to be Pitt just because they haven't shown to be a strong uh, team after since joining this conference. Virginia Tech, after losing their starting quarterbacks in shambles, Miami has a good starting quarterback. They've played well. They're 3-0 overall. And Duke, only losses to a ranked team at 3-1. and Probably the best coach team in the, in the ACC Coastal, you know, now that Virginia Tech's on the outs. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really going to be those two teams vying for that top spot. And we're not going to get to see Duke in the regular season this year, but look to that Miami team and see how they do because we do play them. Mm-hmm. On the road. On the sure. road this year. Uh, Clemson's opponent this week, Notre Dame, now now currently ranked sixth. They may actually have moved up to fifth. Um, they put a beat down on UMass, 62-27. to 27. We'll touch in a little bit about 
how that game went down, but definitely a, a, in terms of looking at this as a warm-up, um, they got the job done there. Well, and it was close early. Um, they're still yeah. number six in the AP poll, actually seven in the coaches. Okay. Uh, they came out a little flat in this one, which is, you know, not doesn't bode well for them. They need that momentum coming into the game against us. They can't afford to come out flat. That's right. Um, elsewhere, if you were if you were looking for defense, you should not have uh, planned a trip to Lubbock last weekend. <laughs> Texas Tech put up 52 points on TCU. I thought TCU was supposed to have a pretty good defense this year, also, but apparently not. They've been in a, quite a few shootouts. Uh, but Texas Tech, or I'm sorry, TCU managed to uh, squeak out a last second fluke touchdown um, in their end zone, uh, winning 55 52. So they sort of held on, but this is yet another close call for them. I think they barely got by Central Michigan earlier, or sorry, Minnesota. Minnesota in the, year. in the first game of the year. And, and mm-hmm. you know, they beat uh, SMU by 19 points, but. Still, I gave up 37 to an SMU team who's just now finding a new offense under our former offensive coordinator, Chad Morris. This is significant for two reasons. We pointed TCU out as a team that's ranked ahead of us who has some weak spots, and there are some opportunities for them to lose this year, and we need that to happen. For one, the Big 12, the, the strength of the Big 12 conference to not look as good, and two, for teams ahead of us to lose so we can surpass them in the polls. But also for Texas Tech to look good because they go up against a team, I think, in Baylor in this coming week who is also ranked ahead of us. And they've looked good this season, Texas Tech has. So that's another opportunity for us to move up with a team ahead of us losing. So we got to be rooting for Texas Tech. <laughs> um, elsewhere, Ole Miss coming off an incredible victory over Alabama struggled against Vanderbilt. And for three quarters of this game, even going into the fourth quarter, Vandy was very much in striking distance here. Chad Kelly, I think, threw two untimely picks. Um, Ole Miss just looked terrible. So this was a home game for them. Again, I wouldn't expect them to keep intensity after Bama, but you can't let a Vanderbilt team stay in that game. No, you can't. And I do think in some way that this was a trap game, especially coming off of the big win against Alabama, where they you know, were catapulted in the, in the polls from wherever they were in the late teens up to four now so i i mean it's like the same thing they did last year when i think when they beat alabama is they got shoved up to the top of the polls again and then we saw how the season ended for them that game against alabama that wasn't a thing of beauty by any stretch of the imagination that was an ugly game so i think it was an overreaction to push them up this high i do think they overlooked vanderbilt i do think that they were you know kind of a little sluggish against them but still you should beat them by more than that with the talent the supposed talent differential that you have over them I think to me, what some of the action the SEC taught us this weekend is that you know A and M barely squeaked by Arkansas. Um, Arkansas has had tons of trouble this year. Um, Ole Miss again struggled with Vanderbilt. And what the SEC pundits are going to tell you is like, oh man, there's so much parity. This is such a good conference. Anytime you win, that's a huge achievement. And you should move up in the polls. I just feel like none of these teams are really that great, is what this tells me. And. Um, if they do lose, I, I just don't really see a scenario where you can you can let two SEC teams into this into the playoff. Um, no, no, well, they haven't earned it. I mean, nothing, right. none of their play on the field is actually deserved. And really, when you look throughout all of college football right now, there's nobody really playing perfect games week in and week out. Even number one Ohio State, you know, they had that that close call against Northern Illinois. Uh, we'll see what Michigan State can do, but any of the teams ahead of us, and then also including ourselves. There are possibility for losses on those schedules. So there again, going back to the parody in college football, it's certainly there. We're seeing that play out week in and week out. 
yeah, and that's why we, you know, again, just need to take care of our, our own business and our, and our schedule um, and hope that the teams we manage to beat, you know, continue to make the ACC look good. And regardless of what happens with Notre Dame, um, even if we do happen to lose this week, if they can continue to win, that loss looks better on our resume too. Yeah, I mean, moral of the story is let's not worry about the polls right now too early in the season. We just need to win against whoever is on our schedule. Just take care of business and everything else will take care of itself. Absolutely. Um, well, let's move on to Notre Dame. Uh, one of the big things that we were all concerned with or thinking about coming into this week, once Notre Dame took care of Georgia Tech, once they beat UMass handily, um, was whether we would get ESPN game day. Alabama plays Georgia. I think there's one lesser game on the schedule this week. But uh, with Alabama's loss to Ole Miss and ha- Bama having gotten two of these games already this year, I think doing you know three in five weeks wasn't going to make sense for ESPN to do as much as they love the SEC. Well, Notre Dame's a huge draw, too. And that's probably a big uh, market that ESPN would like to tap into. So this, this doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, maybe if it was any other team than Notre Dame that was highly ranked in the ACC. I don't, Florida State, I think, that if we were playing them this week, they would still come. Maybe not because of our history there. But um, sure. I'm really excited about game day. I'm, I'm glad to have it back. It's time for redemption. Yeah. Considering what happened last time. Yeah. I mean, this is the fourth time that we've hosted game day um, at Clemson. We've played in a number of other road road games for game day. And for whatever reason, when I was looking this up, they list some of our bowl games and, and that season opener against Bama in 2009. That was a game day event as well. Obviously, you got to kick the season off and they chose Atlanta that week. But, you know. I, I see it as just a regular season game where you go to the right. school's home and you set up that, you know, stu- basically the outdoor studio. You've got Lee Corso putting a mascot head on, got everyone with their signs. It's a great scene at Clemson. I was there for the Georgia game back in 2013 uh, when we came away with victory, and that was also a night game. That was awesome just to see him set up on Bowman. Yeah, so. I was there for the first one uh, at home against Georgia Tech. I think that's when Calvin Johnson was playing for Georgia Tech, and he got shut down in that game, and, yep. and we played spectacular. So the first two game days that came bode well for us, the last one not so much. I'm actually not convinced that game ever happened. Um, yeah, that memory's a little hazy for me. I'm right. not sure. A little, if the memory was a color, it would be a black or blackout, <laughs> I believe. So, so in all seriousness, though, let's talk about those last two game days where we had the, uh, the first on ESPN against Georgia and then switched over to ABC against Florida State, and they had the special of us coming out of the locker room and the whole pageantry and, and ritual of running down the hill. If they offered to do that again this year and cover that, if you were Dabo, what would you do? I mean, I think... First of all, it's a known thing. The majority of your television audience, they did that for the Georgia game also. So right, I feel exactly. like the fact that they double dipped in the same season was a, an odd choice for programming, let alone should we have done it. I think my answer is no. I feel like let's focus on the game, not let players worry about you're, you're in the spotlight here. Like this is about winning this game, playing your best. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep it, let's keep it. Fun. I, would, I would say this. So I'm less concerned about what happened last time when we played Florida State and it ended badly. Uh, I think under normal circumstances, if we had a more veteran team, I love the exposure for Clemson. I, I love the coverage of it. I think reaching a, a huge audience, especially now, this is a different team in Notre Dame and a different fan base that we have exposure to watching this game, I would say absolutely do it. The reason I say not this time is because we do have such a young team and they're not 
built, I don't think, to handle that distraction. We do need to keep that out of there. So I, I think it would be, I know we haven't heard any rumblings about this, whether or not they're going to do it. I don't think ESPN or ABC would do it again. Yeah. But if they did offer, I think Dabo should definitely uh, deny it. And let's just get these young guys focused on what's, for most of them, the biggest game of their career. And I think from an exposure standpoint, we will have an audience, maybe not that many Notre Dame fans and faithful you know, in the Northeast, throughout the country, have tuned into a Clemson game at Death Valley. So I think we're going to get that exposure anyway, and we'll get it when our pl- with our play on the field. I think that's really where we have to earn the respect. It could look like a great scene, but as we saw with that Florida State game, um, that pageantry, the passion, the emotion, the atmosphere sort of went to a, a whimper about five minutes into that game. So I think... I almost think the motive part of that behind them doing it again for the FSU game is they really just wanted to put that camera in the locker room on Jameis Winston. Fair enough. I think definitely that, newsworthy by that point. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's shift to this year's season. Let's break down our opponent a bit here. Notre Dame coming into this game is four and zero. They've played all Power Five conference teams. I'm sorry, um, UMass is not a Power Five team, but um, all FBS level teams. Um, and they are 4-0. Uh, they won close games, a comeback squeaker of a win over UVA at Virginia. They blew Texas out in their first week. Um, and then they held steady against Tech, went up pretty big in the third quarter, let Tech off the mat a bit to get that victory. And we mentioned their beatdown of UMass last week. Um, with UMass, though, Notre Dame was only up 21-20 to with three minutes left in the half. And this was a home game for them. UMass is definitely, I mean, they're, they used to be a basketball school. I didn't even know they played football. Um, definitely not a, a power team. I think means. this is maybe their second year in the FBS. I'm not sure. I know they haven't been there for long. Um, but yeah, they came out, like like I mentioned before, they came out really flat against UMass. Um, whether or not that was a hangover from a Georgia Tech win, which maybe they thought was big, and it probably was, I mean, at, at the time. Yeah. It, to me, though, it was uncharacteristic. I mean, I just look at Brian Kelly teams. You go back to the 2012 National Championship team, all of his years in Cincinnati, they come ready to play. These teams don't give up. You know they're very well coached, and I do believe it was either a, a combo trap game, looking ahead, etc., um, for Notre Dame, as well as they have a lot of backups playing at key positions and key spots. Well, and still to, finding their groove. Well, and to play devil's advocate, we were only up three to nothing over App State at the end of the first quarter, so it can't happen. I mean, you yeah. can't overlook a team, especially when their biggest game of the year, Notre Dame's, that is. Uh, is looking forward to playing Clemson and having to come into Death Valley, mm. you know, it's very likely they're overlooking a team like that, like yep. UMass, because there's no way they would have lost that game. So in their first four games, like we mentioned, there have been a number of key injuries. Um, even coming into this season, their perennial starter, um, Everett Golson, transferred to Florida State. For all, for all signs, or all signs are pointing to there was going to be a, a quarterback change at Notre Dame. He didn't want to come in and play the role of backup here, although it would have led to him regaining that starting spot. But right. he transferred um, redshirt freshman Malik Zaire, uh, took over the starting spot. He lasted a game and a half until he, I think he broke his ankle against uh, Virginia in that third quarter. Or enter, sorry, in the fourth quarter, enter Deshaun Kaiser, basically their third stringer. Came in, led them to victory with a deep touchdown to Will Fuller, their wide receiver. Um, and he has since held on to that starting spot. What we know about them, you know, again, he's he's come in to take take over. Effectively, he's a, a true freshman. 
um, as well as you have a key tight end injury. Kaiser's a sophomore. Oh, he's a sophomore. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was younger than that too. Uh, so it relatively little game experience. They also lost um, their first string running back and their first string tight end and have had a key number of injuries and dismissals from the team on their defense as well, um, or guys that have just left the program. So a lot of things in flux with Notre Dame this season. Regardless of that, um, they still look very good. And they're well-coached. They've taken care of business. Um, maybe they haven't played that elite team yet. Clemson will by far, through every phase of the game, other than special teams, be their toughest opponent. Yeah, I would agree. They, they haven't played an elite team yet. Maybe going into the Georgia Tech game, we thought that was going to be their big test, and that was going to be their first elite team. But we've seen what's happened to Georgia Tech since then and how Georgia Tech, yeah, they put up some gaudy numbers against two not good teams. But then they came out you know, really flat and just not ready and not disciplined, made a lot of mistakes um, in, the, in the beginning of that Notre Dame game and just never got any footing. The game ended up being closer than it should have been. And kind of encouraged by that because I didn't I didn't see Notre Dame have that killer instinct to really put the game away. But I'm not going to say I'm not going to sit here and say Clemson is an elite team yet. We need to see more out of us and uh, more than the three games that we've played. But we're certainly the best team I think that Notre Dame's played all year. Definitely, um, and judging by the tweets of some of their players, they're feeling it too. Uh, so Will Fuller, Chris Brown, both wide receivers. Coming off of that UMass win, uh, we're talking about having a savage performance at Death Valley this week. Um, some of the Clemson players didn't take too kindly to that, including J. Ron Curse, favorited those tweets. Uh, had his media session earlier today, talked about it's going to get chippy in the Valley. He's looking forward to you know, hitting one of their running backs um, as soon as he tries to break through a hole. Definitely looking forward to the matchup with Will Fuller also. So uh, Interesting. I feel like this type of chatter doesn't really happen with the Clemson team too much or with teams coming to face us. I, that's not really, I'm not used to that. Well, so that's not only, the only trash talk that we've seen come out of Notre Dame. Probably the biggest is from their cornerback, Kavari Russell, who has you know, said, hey, I've seen Deshaun Watson. He's not one of the best five quarterbacks in the country. So yeah, he's good, but he's not really worried. Well, okay, we'll see what happens. You know, I'll say this, Kavari's not one of the best cornerbacks I've seen in the country either. So... Yeah, I feel like from a bulletin board material standpoint too, Clemson's coaching staff, you know, they're we are focused on our game and we play Clemson twelve times a year, hopefully fifteen times a year um, this season. But I think from a bulletin board material standpoint, the leaders on the team are going to keep everyone in that locker room this week and on game day just focus on beating this opponent. Well, and also Dabo doesn't let the guys tweet. I mean, well, it's it's not just Dabo. I mean, it's a team policy that they don't get on social media and do that. They can follow it and stuff like that, but they don't actually send out tweets. So, yeah, don't why give out that bulletin board material? I mean, nobody, I mean, nobody any nothing anybody says on Twitter is going to be helpful. It's not going to motivate, motivate your team. It's only going to piss somebody else off on the other team. So, I don't see what advantage it gives you to do that. It just gives the other team something to talk about, get mad about. Absolutely. So, Anyway, good amount of hype leading up to this game. I'm sure fan bases countrywide are also talking some smack too, so it should be a good one um, on Friday night. I'm sorry, Saturday night in the Valley. Um, so, Ben, let's get into breaking down a bit Notre Dame's team here. Uh, let's start with their offense. So, when they're on offense, we'll talk through who are some of the uh, household names on the Notre Dame team that we should be looking for, we should be aware of. We've mentioned some of them already. Um, and how do we see Clemson's players or our, our position groups 
matching up, stacking up uh, to them. Um, why don't you start us out? What, what have you read or seen about Deshaun Kaiser to this point? Well, and I think that's certainly the first thing that you start out with when you're evaluating any team's offense, for the most part, is how they are at the quarterback position. We talked about it. Yeah, Notre Dame has taken some hits this year with the, you know, Golson transfer. I think everybody expected that. Malik Zaire went down. That's a big loss for them. Deshaun Kaiser has come in, and he's looked solid. I do question, though, is are, are looks deceiving with him? He has a 67.7 completion percentage on the year with five TDs and two interceptions. But as with any uh, young new quarterback coming in, the play calling is also going to be very favorable to their limited abilities and strengths until they get more experience. And he hasn't played. He hasn't been up against a really solid defense. This is going to be the best defense that Kaiser has faced all year long. So it's it's easy enough for them to, to give him high percentage throws to go out there. Uh, they say he's a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, he had a good running game against UMass, but outside of that, is it just kind of smoke and mirrors with this uh, this read option offense that they run? Because Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, uh, we, I've listened to One Foot Down, the Notre Dame SB Nation podcast a bit, um, and I think they've, they've touched on two things there. Number one, um, Malik Sire truly was a dual threat. Very skilled runner, can make guys miss very quick. And I think that led to his downfall. He was hurt on a running play. Um, they're not as convinced about Kaiser's running ability and just ability to evade tackles and gain yardage, as well as just due to the overall thinness of their quarterback core at this point, do you really expect Brian Kelly and their offensive coaches to put Kaiser in harm's way? Yeah, do they want him to get hit? Right. Do they want uh, to you know, leave him exposed to Ben Bulware smashing through the line and just driving him you know, his midsection to the ground or... Jaron Jaron Curse is coming in and eating him up. No, they they don't want to risk that because they have nothing behind him. Cupboard's pretty bare, so I feel like you know when you do, you can talk about yeah, he's a threat to run. Certainly, we should you know respect that and not not give him the world, not give him the Connor Shaw treatment. But um, I definitely think it, he's going to be pretty one dimensional. If they do give you a, a zone read look or sort of a read option look, um, that's going to be pretty much just a design run play. Well, and here's the thing, and this this is something that other teams haven't had the luxury of uh, so far with him this year, is that we now have two-plus games of tape on him. So we're able to watch some of the things that he does well. I would imagine that Notre Dame held back in the UMass game, but he still had to go out there and run the offense to, to get the win against UVA. And then they weren't holding anything back against Georgia Tech. They It was a ranked opponent. They had to go back and win that game. So we, we have valuable tape on him now. Yeah, it's not as much as we'd have against a season uh, veteran starter at quarterback, but we do have more than the, the previous teams who have played against him have. And really only one of those counts is a big-time defense in Georgia Tech. UMass, you know, we're not going to put much stock in that. I think elsewhere, when we look at threats to put up some points, um, Notre Dame lost their starting running back this season, um, and he was quickly replaced by C.J. Procise. Procise has been, they pretty much haven't missed a beat with Procise coming back in. He, I think he will test Clemson's front and Clemson's ability. I mean, we, we haven't seen him you know, go too much through a, the A-gap and you know, test the middle of the line. He's more of an outside runner, has a quick step, um, definitely can, can bust open some big plays. That being said, I think we have the athletes to keep up with him and contain on the edge um, and or track him down if our tackling is on point. 
Yeah, so this guy started out in the secondary, then he went to wide receiver, and now he's at running back. And he's done a fantastic job for him this year. He's averaging over eight yards a carry and already has 600 rushing yards on the season. But kind of the downside to that, I mean, you do have to read between the numbers, and if you're just looking at the stats, it's going to pop out at you and look fantastic. But, for instance, in a game against Georgia Tech, 40% of his runs were for less than three yards, three yards or less. He has big playability, absolutely. And, and that's what gives him those gaudy numbers. But when you're talking about going up against an elite defense, which I will call us an elite defense, that can change. If, we have, if we're able to limit him and contain him from making those big plays, we could see that running game that has carried them a lot this year really be limited, and that really bodes well for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think that um, Notre Dame's O-line is strong and they will create opportunities for him, but we will be the toughest running game that he will have faced. And I think we've looked good against similar, you know, not similar competition athletically, but each of the running offenses, including, you know, I think Wofford was meant to have a pretty good running game um, when we face them. Yeah, we're going to have to be strong at the point of attack. And when we hit him, we're going to need the guys to really rally uh, to make the tackle because he will he will break tackles. He's a guy that can do that. So we just need to be strong with that first hit and really wrap up. Our, our, our tackling technique is, is going to be a big part of being able to contain him and, again, limiting those big plays that he's certainly capable of. Who are some key players, do you think, in containing C.J. Procise? Well, he likes to get outside, so I definitely think it comes down to our ends in uh, Shaq Lotz and, and Kevin Dodd. Uh, for those guys to really be able to contain and get after the ball. And then for our then for our safeties, like J. Ron Curse to come up and make a play or bullware, just be a ball hawk and go after somebody. I think that's going to be a, a big, um, very important uh, part of our game to really be able to contain him. You mentioned Shaq Lawson. He's going to be lined up, it appears against senior left tackle, really all-world tackle there, Ronnie Stanley. Um, some are projecting him into the top five of the NFL draft. Uh, I believe this is going to be, first of all, his toughest showdown this year with Shaq Lawson, potentially all year. Uh, so this is one of those key matchups, I think, just with their O-line, our D-line, that's going to dictate the outcome of this game. But definitely that look for that you know, left side of the O-line um, in the first half to understand what's happening there. Um, if we're hearing Shaq Lawson's name called for anything other than bogus hands in the face and roughing the passer penalties like at Louisville, um, that's going to be a good sign. So I love, uh, I love when we get to talk about seeing our best guy go up against their best guy, especially when both guys are in the, in the landscape of college football are one of the best at what they do. So I'm really interested to see how this plays out with, with Lawson and Stanley. I want to see that battle, and I want, a lot, I want to see Lawson get a rush, get into the backfield, and be really disruptive and have a huge impact on this game. I mean... We can call somebody a future first-round NFL draft pick, but you got to go up against the best for, for us to really see what you're made of. And the same thing goes for Shaq Lawson. So I, I, I want to see him be the more dominant force in this game. So kind of in that same vein, talking about best player against best player, let's talk about their wide receiver, Will Fuller, uh, against Mackenzie Alexander. I mean, Fuller's one of the best wide receivers in the country right now. Yeah, definitely. He's, his play on the field has shown it. He's able to go up there and get, get any ball. He can He's turn on the Jets, um, outrun, outrun nearly anybody, um, as he showed at the end of that Virginia game, and then also against Georgia Tech. So Will Fuller's legit. Um, I think it's going to be a matter of can we pressure um, Kaiser 
and can Mackenzie Alexander really hold up and earn his self-proclaimed billing as the best corner in, in the country? Yeah, so I this is going to be... I don't remember Mac getting tested a lot, like actually having a true test. And this is going to be one of those moments. We're really going to be able to see what he's made of and also what Fuller's made of. We've seen Fuller play this year. He's averaging over 20 yards a catch. That's That's amazing no matter who you're playing. And he is... Again, one of the probably top five wide receivers in the country. So I'm really interested in this matchup. Uh, I think Cody mentioned uh, going into our Louisville game that he predicted uh, Mac's first career interception. Well, he's going to have his opportunity this year because Notre Dame's not going to shy away from Fuller. Uh, yeah, they can't. They, they expect yeah, to score they can't. Points. Kaiser hasn't been throwing the ball over the middle, and maybe they're not calling passes over the middle because he is a young quarterback. They've been going to their their known commodity and Will Fuller, a guy that they they can trust to go up and get the ball. So they're not going to shy away from. Uh, Notre Dame has had a lot of problems this year with drops from other wide receivers, and really Fuller is one of the few guys, and maybe Chris Brown, that they've really been able to depend upon. They're not going to shy away. They're going to be throwing at Mac. This is going to be a very interesting matchup. And I'll I'll wrap that up, and maybe we could close out on the offense here. I feel like seeing Cordrea Tankersley continue to develop and improve contain some of their other threats on the other side of Mac and, you know, allow Mac to own own that fuller matchup, um, I think it's going to be key. So we'll look, look for tanks need to be called um, in a positive way. Um, so in terms of my, like, takeaways or so what, looking at Notre Dame's offense and how our defense stacks up, I just really see two keys here. I think that we have to acknowledge that Procise and Fuller, they are legitimate threats, and chances are they are going to get their plays. What I think we cannot do as a defense is overcompensate for that and let those threats um, really distract our defense and where we need to overcompensate for them. I think we need to contain the, the other would-be playmakers on their offense and just let their inferior talent try to beat us. Um, let's let, you know, effectively sort of a let's bend but don't break and hopefully our playmakers can get in there and disrupt. I think a second key here is force Kaiser into mistakes. Overall for this game, and we'll talk about it as we wrap things up at the end, um, I think the turnover battle is going to dictate the outcome here. Can we bring this really, really green sophomore into the valley and force him to, you know, try to scramble for a ball and lead to a fumble or have any strip sacks or untimely interceptions um, and get the crowd back into the game? I feel like also getting Notre Dame off the field on third down and quick exits into drives is going to play in our favor in this game. So... Hopefully we're seeing all of those things happen within the first half. Um, and if not, Brent Venables, I trust him more than anybody to make adjustments. Yeah, so let's let's talk about their defense now because we know what our defense is capable of. And this is really, I would never have thought this going into this year, that I'm wondering what our offense can do. Uh, I've been excited, actually. Maybe not excited, but I've been very pleased with our O-line play. It hasn't been disastrous, but there's been some other question marks on the field. So uh, it's I want to see a lot of improvement in our offense, but I'm also interested in seeing what we're able to do against... This isn't going to be the best defense we've faced all year, I don't think. No, I mean, they, they definitely have good playmakers, and we'll talk about some names there. But again, I feel like in many ways, Louisville gave us a tougher look from their front um, in terms of the talent they have and some of the starters they return from previous season so yeah I feel like Notre Dame's secondary might give might have an edge over Louisville but we've faced a good defense already and I think we know our players are tested 
Yeah, I think overall in this game, it's kind of a strength-on-strength, weakness-on-weakness situation, whereas we talked about uh, our defensive line versus their offensive line. Those are strengths for both teams. We would probably both teams say that uh, along their defensive line and our offensive line, these are both weaknesses for us. So, again, Louisville's front seven is, is better. Uh, so we've played a better defense. We've prepared for that. But that doesn't mean we can't afford not to improve on some of the things we haven't been doing so well to really be successful and win this game. Absolutely. And I feel like that begins and ends with, doesn't end with, but uh, Deshaun Watson with his play. And, you know, you could, you could uh, we talked about in our Louisville recap and our quarter season kind of bye week, um, re, you know, assessment of the season thus far. Um, looking at just crispness with Deshaun Watson and really taking advantage of some of his skills hasn't really been there. I think everyone would agree it's it's not what we were expecting coming into the year. So um, I don't know that by seeing another kind of average performance from him in Notre Dame should cause any of us to panic. But I think he will have the opportunity to break out, and I think we're really close to seeing him reach his potential. Yeah, so it's it's funny. You know, Dabo, we talk about Dabo's coach speak a lot, and he'll point out how... I'm not going to say we've been critical of Deshaun Watson this year, and, and I don't think the media has either, but I think we will point out that we're kind of scratching our heads here because we haven't seen him play great. Dabo will point out that his numbers are really good, and I will agree with that. Uh, but numbers don't tell everything, just like we talked about with Notre Dame's quarterback and Kaiser. Uh, it's how you look out there and passing the eye test, yep. and I have no worries that Watson is going to be a great quarterback. He does look a little uh, shaky and tentative in the pocket right now because I think he, he feels vulnerable with that knee. And it's something that's going to take time uh, for him to become comfortable with. But I think if we can weather the storm, we keep pushing on. Again, I, I'm not concerned with him if he has another average performance and we win this game because all I really care about at the end of the day is the win, and I know he's going to get better. Yeah, I only hit panic mode if he gets hurt he's out for the season definitely <clears throat> or out for an extended stretch um, yeah as we get into important league play um so let's talk about potential areas where notre dame does bring talent that could disrupt our game what are you seeing across their their defensive side um yeah they've got an all-american linebacker and uh, jaylon smith he's returning um so look for him to really try to limit, uh, be a big part in limiting our run game and also putting pressure on Deshaun Watson to affect the passing game. Uh, and then also we talked about cornerback Kavari Russell. Uh, he missed last year. He did, he did miss last year. They think he's, he has the talent to be re really special. He hasn't lived up to the hype so far this year. And I think a lot of part, uh, big part of that is missing last season, shaking off the rust. He's talking a big game right now with uh, his trash talk about Watson can he live up to the hype? We'll see. Yeah, and in terms of who you mentioned Jalen Smith potentially could impact Wayne Gallman in the running game. I think this is where we could see Gallman. I mean, he's bringing a lot of intensity and sort of power to his style of running. Um, meeting Smith at that point of attack, can Gallman get that extra one to two yards to convert a third down or to set our offense up with a shorter field? I think that's going to be key here. We know Smith is going to bring it, and he's going to be the toughest test for Galman to date. Uh, but that's going to be an interesting matchup to look at. 
and you mentioned Russell. I think this is where, you know, all season with Mike Williams going down, we've looked for someone to step up and really take take on that like primary receiving threat for for uh, Deshaun. Uh, this could be where I mean maybe Russell isn't isn't all that, and can we turn his smack talk into a liability with the likes of Sharon Peak? Maybe the coaching staff wants to get Deion Kane involved at the boundary position. Yeah, we haven't seen uh, really a lot of, and we've seen some deep balls to Peak this year. But we haven't really seen him hugely impact a game. And I think this needs to be his coming out party. And I think he needs to really expose Russell uh, for an average cornerback and give us a deep threat that we've really been lacking all year. We're throwing balls underneath. We're, again, with the coach speak, we're taking what the defense gives us. I want to see us attack downfield. I want to see us get back to that game because that was a big part of what made our offense really successful over the past few years and under Chad Morris. And Peek's a talented guy. He's a fast guy. We really need to see him grow into that and really have his first really healthy season. And, okay, kind of with Russell shaking off the rust, this is Peek still shaking off the rust. But I really want to see him start to take over because I think he does have the potential to be a phenomenal wide receiver. And I think from a a talent standpoint, Clemson's talent far outmatches Notre Dame's. I mean, I I don't know that Notre Dame has a weak spot on this defense. All 11 guys play very solidly as coach Jeff Scott pointed out. But um, I, I think we are going to get to the point where we do have more talent and Ray Ray McLeod, can we get some of our freshman burners or even the likes of Hunter Renfro when they're not expecting it, um, get him involved. I think that's going to be important. So I think one key for me, if we think about so what's when Clemson's got the ball has to, has to do with, you know, they may not have weak spots, but what are they giving us in terms of defensive looks and cushion, if you will, against any of our matchups? Let's relentlessly go after those and exploit it. And I think that will eventually open up our deeper plays. Well, they are depleted in, uh, in depth at the, at the safety position. They had uh, one of their good starting safeties go out in the Georgia Tech game, uh, torn ACL. He's out for the rest of the year. Unfortunate for that guy. Um, we've got the talent. Absolutely wide receiver. I mean, the Mike Williams loss has been huge, but between Peak and Scott and Kane and McLeod and Jermon Hopper and even Hunter Rimfro, across the board, we have the talent to really pick apart this secondary. Wayne Galman, I'm not worried about. We I've seen enough from him. I really see a lot of promise and him continuing to progress as a running back and being able to control this game. But I really want to see us open up the passing game. And I want to see these talented wide receivers that we have really start to take over and dominate a game because the talent's there. And I think in McLeod and Kane, they're young, they're true freshmen. Get a few games under the belt, get a couple weeks off to, to correct some things. I think you're going to see them come out on this, in this game kind of how a coming out party make a huge impact. Yeah, I mean, I feel like among either of the two true freshman wide receivers um, or peak, you are going to see one of these guys just have a really a game for his own career, like a career game and a game that you'll remember them by. Um, I'm hopeful it's multiple guys here and we'll see not only just the big play happening, but continuing to move the chains through the screen game play or um, jet sweeps, etc. The the talent that we have there is is just too deep for us not to be better and have play better in offense than we have this year, especially in the downfield passing game. So that's been really surprising for me. Yeah, the the loss of Mike Williams hurts, um, 
and you're not going to replace him. Peek's not the same type of wide receiver. Jermon Hopper's not the same type of wide receiver. Artavis Scott isn't. Deion King can be that guy. Even Trevion Thompson. You know, we're not talking about him a lot. So let's see what happens in this game. we got a bunch of young guys, and, and they are on the brink of really busting out and having a huge game. It could be this one. I think to wrap up keys on offense for us, um, continuing to focus on protecting the ball. We had a couple of interceptions last game, so I don't think that can happen if we, if we expect to win this game. So continuing to just play a clean, clean game decision-wise for Deshaun, and if that ball is sort of lofted up there and you think there's that, that room for an interception, our receivers have the wherewithal to go get that ball or to knock it down. We saw that twice last week against Louisville. That didn't happen. So hopefully turnovers look good for us. Um, I think Wayne Gallman is going to be a key, key cog in the wheel for this, this offense this week, um, both inherently with the yards he's going to gain, but to establish the run, set up some other things sideline to sideline that we can do with the spread offense, and really to, to keep t- key up Sharon Peak for one-on-one matchups downfield. Well, and then let's not gloss over this because we failed to mention it, and it is going to be huge. The play of the offensive line, we still need to create holes for Gallman, and we also need to protect Deshaun Watson. Uh, Jake Fromudgeon is going to be back this week, which is huge for our offensive line depth. We can't afford injuries at this position because they may not be the best front seven we faced all year, but they are a really good defensive team. So the offensive line is, is going to need to progress. We need to see improvement there. Even though they've played okay this year, they need to get better. Are, you, are we sure for Morgan is back in this week? I think his status may still be uncertain. I think he's looking further along than, than Joe Gore. Um, certainly, fingers crossed that he can be there. Um, I also feel like Eric McLean, and this is um, per Larry Williams um, of Tiger Illustrated Rivals, um, I feel like, yeah, O-line is cr- critical with Ryan Norton being down this week. Where can we get our depth on that line, or where can we find the right combination of five guys to protect Deshaun and keep that offense moving. Now, for Margin's back, and Gore's, Gore was back in the game against Louisville, but I think what Dabo said in his uh, weekly teleconference this week is for Margin for sure. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Um, and certainly, I think Jay Guillermo is the starting center, sets us up for success there. He's really our best foot forward on the O line. Um, so, again, I mean, I think if we get a quality game out of Deshaun, can keep some protection there really activate some of our athletes things bode well for us putting up points against this notre dame defense despite them having some good athletes lastly favorite position group here special teams um really quickly we'll just go through what we see from notre dame i think they have a pretty iffy kicker i recall him missing um, a couple of kicks in the georgia tech game so that could rear its head especially in a hostile environment on the road death valley Um, so that will be interesting they do though have uh, return game talent C.J. Sanders ran one back this past weekend against UMass, and I think if Clemson puts up another poor effort in kick coverage, that could definitely swing the game in Notre Dame's favor. Yeah, their kicker, uh, Justin Yoon, he's uh, at about he's four for six on field goals this year, but I think the ones that you talk about are crunch time, important field goals uh, against a big opponent. So yeah, that could come into play. That's right, and Certainly for our kicking game, I think Amon Lakeup's back. We haven't heard about him taking over or threatening that position, though it is a day-to-day competition. Uh, but it looks like Greg Hugel will be our place kicker for this game. He's going to be a place kicker. Lakeup's uh, battling him for the actual kickoff spot. Given how our 
kick coverage team has been this year, we really need somebody that can put it back in the end zone and get a touchback. Very good. Well, let's let's wrap the whole game here. Just key things you're looking for coming in, um, key things to think about, and then Ben, let's let's hear your prediction. Maybe you can start with on the offense for Clemson. What are keys to victory? All right, on the offensive side of the ball, we need to be efficient and mistake free. We need to control the game and keep the defense off the field. We really need to keep those guys rested. Uh, because at the end of the Louisville game, they started to look a little bit tired. Again, we have so much talent on the defensive side of the ball, but we don't have a bunch of depth. Those guys, especially the linebacker position, are going to be on the field a lot. And then we talked about it. Does Deshaun Watson return to form? And I almost hate putting that down. I actually I just want to see him get better from game to game because I know what his ceiling is, and it's high. So maybe return to form is kind of harsh, if he gets better from game to game, we're going to be all right. Is Gallman going to be dominant again? Has it been a fluke, a figment of our imagination? I don't think so. I think he will continue to, to be so. Same thing with the offensive line. They need to continue to improve. They're not the best offensive line in the world, but as long as we don't take a step back, I think we'll be okay. And it does a young wide receiver step up. McLeod, Kane, Trevion Thompson. One of those guys I think needs to emerge especially in this game and as the season goes forward. And I think if they do, we're going to be in really good shape. Yeah, I think for me, I agree with those points. Um, when I look at matchups for our offense versus their defense, Jalen Smith versus Wayne Gallman, you know, when, when Gallman can get to that second level or just, just, in term, just past the point of attack, uh, who wins that battle? Can Gallman put his head down and gain those extra yards? It's going to be key. And Sharon Peak against Kivari Russell. Will Pete go up and get the damn ball effectively, you know, follow in the footsteps of some of his um, excellent Clemson receiving forefathers? I think he can. So I think those are two key matchups for us. Let's flip it over to the defense. I think for me, what's going to be key here is disrupt Kaiser. Make, force him into mistakes, force him into early throws, trying to scramble. I think we can turn the ball over at the very least, get them off the field on third down or shorten up their series is going to be crucial. We talked about a couple of the key matchups. Mackenzie Alexander, can he contain or at least sort of keep Will Fuller um, from from destroying this this defense? I think he can. And can Shaq Lawson and his brethren in the in the trenches establish a pass rush against pr- probably the best O line we'll face all year? Yeah, I think we need to make Kaiser look like a young, inexperienced quarterback that he is. I think we're going to be the best defense that they face all year. At the same time, though they're not going to be a top 10 offense, they are the best offense we faced all year. So does our defense remain dominant? I think that's a huge key in winning this game. Yeah, and I feel like, for me, key matchups also, um, their left tackle Stanley against Shaq Lawson. Um, you've got your unstoppable force and your immovable object. Who wins 51% of these matchups? could have an impact on this game. And then CJ Procise, not letting their running game grind it out, keep our offense on the sideline, convert the convert the third down, etc. Um, let's just pound the crap out of Procise, basically. I think we've got the the dogs to do it. Um, we've got Ben Bulwer in there. He can make, make Procise's night really uncomfortable. So let's do that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like Clemson's defense here. I feel like uh, our... It's not that we have experience, but I think our... Our ability under Brent Venables to really attack is going to 
you know, come into play. And if we can be physical with their wide receivers, especially Mack on Fuller at, at, at the line and get them off their routes, that's going to be huge because that's going to disrupt their passing game. Again, young quarterback could be, you know. I don't mind an untimely penalty either if you got to show these guys what's up. Yeah, that's fine with me, especially Russell if we can get him on, the, on their defense. All that trash talk. That's right. Um, and I'm not saying knock a guy out of the game. Just saying let him know where you're playing. Yeah, solid hit. Exactly. Uh, and we'll just wrap quickly on special teams. I think for me the, the key there is pray this, this side of the ball doesn't cost us the game. Um, continue to improve with Greg Hugel, with his kicking. Let's see something out of We've had 16, games off bet- 16 days off between games. What can that kick coverage show us? Can we contain... Um, their their playmakers and just keep the the uh, field position game in Clemson's favor. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I think is does our kick coverage improve? They really focused on it uh, with these 16 days off. By the way, I think it should be illegal to have two Saturdays in a row where your team doesn't play football. Um, uh, so not only that, uh, but you know we need to improve on the return game when our punt returns. I think with all the athletes and talent we have, we've got to make that more of an advantage for us. All right. Enough talk. Prediction time. What's the score? Why do we get there? And how do you feel coming out of it? I've got 27-17 Clemson. Uh, I think in order for us to do that, we really do have to limit the big plays between Procise and Fuller. We need to win the turnover battle. Make Kaiser... Uh, make mistakes, turn over the ball, and then no special team breakdowns. Yeah, my score is in the 20s as well. Uh, I see Clemson 24, Notre Dame 21. Um, I think we should not expect any type of letdown performance, slow start, or just lack of focus from Notre Dame. I think they're a very well-coached team, and um, they're going to be playing tough from the get-go. I hope that we are too. I hope that we don't have a 16-day letdown coming in. We may end up playing, you know, with a deficit here, but I think our talent will win out. I think our defensive intensity wins out here. Um, you'll notice my score has a field goal in there. I'm hoping it's not a last-minute kick because I will be in the stadium, and I just don't want that stress in my life. I got enough gray hair <laughs> as is. So, uh, you know, 24-21 Clemson going to be a great, great game for us. A statement game on the national stage, um, and let's hope you know we move up in those polls after this one. Other games, I know they will all be taking place before us, um, but games of note to watch from the tailgate or wherever you, wherever you are preparing on Saturday. Uh, 13, Alabama heads to just down the road, number eight, Georgia. That you know should be a very good game between two stacked teams. Uh, let's see if Grayson Lambert is legitimate. I don't think he is. I think Bama wins this one going away. So even if we beat Notre Dame, the number six team in the country, if Georgia wins, they stay ahead of us. If Alabama wins, they jump ahead of us. So there's no positive outcome in this game for Clemson. I mean, you hope Georgia falls behind us if we beat Notre Dame, but we'll see. But then Alabama will jump into that spot. Certainly would, but uh, <laughs> Georgia will have lost to Bama, so don't count your chickens. Um, number three Ole Miss heads to number 25 Florida. We'll see what type of Ole Miss effort we get out of this, but um, Florida certainly has not looked dominant by any means barely squeaking by Tennessee. Um, they, I don't think they've had a convincing victory yet. Actually. They're undefeated, though. Fair enough. Um, so you're undefeated. You don't have any convincing victories, but you play in the SEC. 
that warrants a top 25 ranking. Uh, but yeah, I think the main thing here is let's see what Ole Miss is made of. Um, if they eke by Florida, that doesn't tell me a lot. If they dominate Florida, that tells me a little bit more. If they lose to Florida, obviously. Get out of that top 10. Exactly. Yep. Elsewhere in the top 10, again, you mentioned this earlier, Texas Tech has the number five Baylor. I think Baylor's as susceptible as anybody, uh, especially I don't think they stop anyone on any given drives. So Yeah, again, we need to win, and we need teams ahead of us to lose. Simple as that, Texas Tech can beat Baylor. In the ACC, Louisville heads to NC State. NC State undefeated. Again, they've played a bit of a Georgia Tech-type schedule where they have beaten up on cupcakes, but... You know, they have an improved quarterback. They've got some returning guys on defense. So I think NC State's going to be well-coached. We'll see what type of effort they get. And we'll see from Louisville, are they throwing in the towel for their season? They beat Samford, Samford sorry, um, last weekend. But let's see in ACC play what type of effort we get out of, out of those guys. Yeah, NC State undefeated. Obviously, we've already played Louisville. NC State is on our schedule. So this does really nothing more than kind of letting us know you know, how we shaped up against who we played versus who we have on our schedule coming up here in the future. Yeah, I think calibrating the ACC Atlantic is going to be important here. We really don't know what we've got across the board. We've seen Florida State play BC. We've we've seen Wake play Syracuse. I don't know that either of those have really indicated what's going to happen here. So to get, you know, another look at NC State against a real team is going to be important. We play them on Halloween, I believe. And the last game, uh, the pillow fight of the week South Carolina heads to Mizzou. Probably a baseball score is what I expect on this one. Three to two, you think? Three nil? Shut out? Yeah, this will be the worst Tiger team that a South Carolina plays all year. I'll go ahead and predict. A Missouri three, LSU two, Clemson number one. So, I don't know. This will be interesting to see how this, this game turns out. Again, South Carolina's on our schedule. Want to see what they're made of. I think they're going to start, and they already have, start playing Lorenzo Nunez a lot more, their young freshman quarterback, which would then be a guy that we're going to face at the end of the year. So important to watch this. Definitely. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, tell a friend. You got some time Saturday before the tailgate, so spread the word. If you're listening to us for the first time, we appreciate it. Um, feel free to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. You can follow us on Twitter, like our page on Facebook. We're going to continue to post content in both spots. And uh, thank you very much again for listening. Go Tigers!